0: Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in the motorcycle industry right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale
1: Spangler. And this week, our guest is two-stroke motocross privateer, Matt Burkine. Moto America is an official sponsor of Pit Pass Moto. The 2022 Moto America season has only one action-packed round remaining. Who will be crowned the 2022 Superbike Champion? Jake Gagne or Danilo Pedrucci? Find out at the final round showdown, September 23rd through the 25th at Barber Motorsports Park outside Birmingham, Alabama. Get your tickets now at MotoAmerica.com or watch practice, qualifying, and races on the Moto America Live Plus video on demand streaming service. Get your tickets and reserve a camping spot at MotoAmerica.com and follow MotoAmerica on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
0: We'd like to give a pit pass moto welcome to Matt Burkeen. He is number 820, a privateer racer, competed in the uh, 2022 450 outdoor motocross season in a unique way because Matt rode a two-stroke YZ250 in the series. And uh, really a compelling and interesting story, Matt, and uh, we really uh, want to thank you for coming on the show today.
2: Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciated um, you guys reaching out.
0: Matt, hats off to you for your efforts to compete in the Nationals. You know, it was such an interesting story and uh, thoroughly enjoyed your, your vlog that you put out on um, YouTube. And uh, you're a very interesting young man and uh, got a good sense of humor, and it really comes across. Where did the idea to uh, do this this year, where did that come from?
2: Well, I've, I've kind of always thought it would be cool to do the Nationals on the two-stroke. I've been riding only a two-stroke for about the last three and a half years or so. And my girlfriend and I, whenever we got together, we always thought that it would be cool to do a national, but we never really thought it would happen because for the longest time, the Yamaha 250 wasn't homologated for pro racing. But this year, since 2022, the YZ250 had a few little upgrades. I think that made Yamaha more inclined to pay the fee for homologation. So this year, the 2022 was um, legal for pro racing. So I, at that point, just had to get my hands on a 22, which was kind of hard to do just because of supply and all that stuff nowadays. But I was able to get a 22 and then just started trying to put some sponsors together and uh, just really wanted to do it for a long time. And now that the bike was legal, I really just wanted to pull the trigger on it. And uh, I actually got hurt a month before with uh, a pretty good shoulder injury, but uh, I just wanted to do it too bad. So we kind of just soldiered through.
0: Well, you're definitely a tough guy to, to go out there and do that against those 450s. I mean, your efforts, you're a genuine privateer, I think, in the truest sense of the word. I mean, you show up with you, it's your girlfriend or some other help in your pickup truck, and you load unload with an easy up, and just kind of takes me back to those days when there were a lot of you guys at the racetrack, and going up against 40 or more riders and make it into the program has got to be pretty satisfying, I would imagine
2: yeah it definitely was satisfying and um especially just because this year in my opinion and pretty much everybody else that i talked to like this was like one of the most stacked years and in everyone's memory because really no factory guys were out and then by the end of the year there was more factory guys coming back for like the last four rounds so it was definitely satisfying to be able to put it into the the mains especially on the two-stroke and uh Like I would watch the LCQs every weekend and and there was great riders in them every weekend. I mean, there'd be two national number of guys in them and, you know, just tons of guys that are awesome riders that have no business being in an LCQ. So it was definitely satisfying as far as like the setup and going in a pickup and all like it is total privateer, but it's honestly kind of all I know. Um, that's kind of like how I grew up racing, just going in the truck with a couple bikes and just racing as many classes as I can. Um, and that's kind of what I do every weekend around where I live. I just race locally wherever. So this summer was kind of just me doing what I always do just on a lot bigger scale.
1: Yeah. That was going to be one of my questions is what was your primary objective with this is just to, cause it seemed like the main thing for was just to have a really good time. Um, kind of like a bucket list thing for you to do. Cause I thought, sorry, you did some nationals in 2014, you did another one in 2018 and there's kind of a gap and then all of a sudden you chose this year. But again, to go back to, it just seems like your whole approach was to just be fun, go with the flow, kind of experience it again, like a bucket list type of a uh, summer, I guess you could say, would that be the case?
2: Yeah. Bucket list is like the exact, uh, word I would we had kind of used cuz you know I'd wanted to do it for a while and like really our main goal was you know if we could just go and qualify you know we we were happy for the day um obviously I tried the best I could in the motos but qualifying was just the main goal once I was in the races it was kind of just gravy to like you know any any spot that I did better than the week before was kind of just a little bonus but the main objective was qualifying and uh going and having a blast doing it and kind of an unintended consequence of the summer was kind of like the growth of, uh, the YouTube because, you know, at first my girlfriend had just started filming me racing and then she suggested like, Hey, maybe we should put that on YouTube. You know, people would probably like it. And, you know, it didn't really grow for like a year, a year and a half. But then when we were doing this, we, we kind of just had like a unique way of going about it. And as you guys said, it's like total privateers, So, we kind of figured people would be into it. So like we didn't really plan it out to like, you know, gain this much of a following as, as as cool as it is. But we were kind of just like, Hey, you know, it'd be cool to blog and share the experience and, you know, let's do it. You know, we didn't have any master plan or anything like that, but it definitely, uh, definitely turned out to be better than I would have expected on that front.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, it seemed like it, as you said, it kind of started to snowball as the season went along. And I'd have to say though, the high point of your season has to be, Unadilla, where you narrowly edged out Chase Sexton for the win in Moto2. So tell us about that. (laughs) Yeah, no
2: kidding. Um, I mean, to go from 30th to 35th places and then to, you know, get a win, that was nice. (laughs) But um, in all seriousness, um, you know, the first moto of my season at High Point, I actually, like, kind of waited for Chase. Um, (laughs) And to be honest with you guys, it was for me to get off the track because I was so tired. So I finished, like, right behind Chase and I saw it on tv and I was like dang like I should have like at least revved up to two smoke or like done something so I kind of like in the back of my mind I kind of thought like if I'm finishing with the winner again like I got to do something so I saw Chase coming and um like the last half a lap I kind of tried to time it to where we would finish together just because I hadn't really done anything else good that day so I, I figured I would just try to do something and i know chase a little bit and he got a kick out of it too so i knew it would be on tv and i figured it would be kind of funny but whenever i got back to the truck my phone was just blowing up so it was definitely a funny uh kind of in the moment thing to do i don't really know where it came from but it's just kind of kind of who i am just not taking my 35th place finish too seriously i guess
1: no, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. and like as you said, like all the there's a bunch of other racers like Chase commented on your post and I think AP did and you know just a whole bunch of riders were just seemed like they were totally behind you on that and I love how you did the fist pump right next to him. so it, was, it couldn't have been any better. And the crowd response has been, as you mentioned, absolutely incredible. Seems like everybody's just getting behind you. And when you're going up to the starting line, you rev the two stroke and you got people yelling for you. So tell us about that experience. I mean, that had to be maybe a little bit expected, but also unexpected at the same time, just to, as we said, it's kind of snowballed and you've gained a lot of new followers out of it.
2: Yeah, I definitely knew that that the fans would love the two stroke because um, kind of the day that sparked me thinking it would be cool to race on the two stroke is uh, when I did the National in 2018 um, at Muddy Creek. I on the sight lap, I was right behind Stank Dog, and, and it was just crazy, like, how wild the fans were going for him. So I was like, man, like, that'd be cool one day for me to be that guy. So, like, just starting off right away at High Point, like, the first sight lap of the first moto was insane. Like, I had, like, goosebumps and chills running down me, and it was it just – I couldn't believe how many people were hollering and air horns and all that. Like, I, I honestly didn't even really look at the track, like, my first sight lap because it was just, like – so overwhelming and so cool but I like I said I knew it was going to be good but it turned out to be even better than I thought um and especially the the following on like the social and the YouTube like that snowballed even you know way further than I would have ever imagined so at this point I just got to try to keep it going I guess now that we're in the off season it's not quite as easy because I don't have nationals to go to every weekend but uh I definitely want to try to keep it going because I don't want to just give up all the growth that we've done this year
0: no doubt. You can feel the groundswell of the the two stroke uh, faithful following you around the track and, and imagine on social media too, just just loading up the comments and, and sending in a lot of love. Uh, I want to ask you about uh, Bud's Creek because I thought that was a pretty grueling weekend for you where, you know, you race the national on Saturday and then you hung around Sunday to race the amateur day and you had to you actually got to go up against Hayden Deegan, who is the anointed one, the the future of the sport. And I thought it was great because it checked your speed and there's no doubt you're a legit fast guy. And uh, I had to make you feel pretty good about that after that weekend. But at the same time, racing six motos on Sunday after racing two moto nationals on uh, Saturday had to be had to be pretty rough. What was that weekend like for you? <laughs>
2: that was probably like one of the hardest weekends of my entire life. Bud's Creek, the national on Saturday was was like the first hot race of the entire year so just saturday alone took a, quite a bit out of me but the sunday amateur day it was a pro-am and the pro-ams have like decent payouts so before i even heard anything about deegan racing i kind of had already had my mindset on staying in racing to try to make some extra money and then whenever i heard that deegan would be there that actually like cemented my decision to for sure stay and race just because A, I knew it would be good for like our video, you know, staying and racing with Deegan. I knew it would attract a lot of eyes to, to my channel. And uh, B, I thought it would be good because, you know, I, I would hopefully if I rode how I was expecting to ride, I would be included in their footage too, which I was hoping to battle with, with Hayden. So that ended up working out pretty well. And then also, you know, racing with even Hayden and uh, Dax and Benick as well you know they're like 10 years younger than me so I thought it was a good opportunity too to kind of learn from those guys and kind of learn from their intensity and one thing that that they were doing a lot better than me that I don't really focus on a whole lot that it's nice to to know things like this when you race people like this but um they were just they were scrubbing a lot better than me which obviously them being younger and a little more exuberant you know it kind of makes some sense so I like to race people like that that I think might be a little better than me just so I can kind of see where I'm not as good and you know that'll help me get better for the future. I heard a few people actually at at Bud's Creek that didn't want to stay and race the pro-am because Deegan was racing, and and that just doesn't make any sense to me because, you know, if, if he beats you, it's just a chance to see where he's better than you.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that it, that actually makes me want to ask another question is, I mean, it, because you're not in such a crowded field, you've got less riders around you and it's a little more open. You can actually kind of work on your skills is is what you're describing is kind of dial yourself in a little better than the day before at the national where it's just, you know, all out for, you know, 30 minutes plus two, just trying to get through a moto.
2: Yeah, and it's a little different, too, because the main thing that I struggled with at the nationals was was just how rough the tracks were. And on Sunday for Amateur Day, it was a lot more like I'm used to. You know, it was kind of more of an amateur rough. So I think more than anything, it was just a a way to try to ramp my intensity back up because doing the 30 plus twos all summer, I really felt like my my sprint speed as far as multiple laps at a time had kind of gone away because I was. I was pretty good at the one lap at a time and qualifying, but in the motos, the tracks were just so gnarly. I was having a really tough time getting a flow and even attacking at all. So um, I think it was really just a different set of skills I was working on. And then obviously, like I was saying before, just the people I was racing with, I really enjoyed being able to learn from them as well.
0: So it makes me want to ask then, I know you raced nationals back in 14. Um, You rode a 250F. And uh, you kind of described that as a bit of a grind, I think, in the interview I saw. But I guess what I'm going I ask you is, wh- were the, is there a major difference between the competition and the tracks back then as compared to 2022, this season, when honestly had some of the most epically great events and, and weather and competition on the track? But all that aside, were, is there a big difference in the difficulty of the tracks or, or even the level of competition?
2: So I've kind of been thinking about this all year. It's been eight years, so it's been quite a while, and I remember all the tracks being like really gnarly, but maybe it's just me, but I didn't remember them being this gnarly. Like I felt like they were super, super rough this year, Um, but that also could be just because I've been off for so long, and then doing it on a two-stroke isn't exactly the easiest thing either, so that might make it just feel a little bit harder compared to riding the four-stroke. And then as far as the competition, I think the main thing is just that, like, nobody was really hurt um, this year. That was the biggest thing. Like, the whole top 20 was, like, all factory guys where when I was doing it in 2014, you know, a few privateers were able to squeak their way into the top 20, you know, like, every weekend where this year. Like, Unadillo, for example, when um, Ferrandis and Malcolm and Dean came back, I think uh, – Dino and Malcolm were like 22nd and 23rd in practice or something like that. And if you looked at 2021, there was guys that were qualifying top 20 every week that had to go to a few LCQs this year. So I really, I feel like the competition kind of comes and goes like from year to year. And I think this was just a tough year.
1: That to me just makes it even more impressive that you qualified on a two stroke, 250. And so I'm curious to know what you did with your, Why is 250 to make it so competitive summer? That thing just sounds so crisp. And as Dave mentioned, I mean, you're qualifying against some of these, the fastest riders out there and you're making it in into the motos directly out of qualifying. So it had some juice, that's for sure. So tell us a little bit about what you did to the bike to uh, make it run with those 450s. To be
2: completely honest with you guys, it actually doesn't have that much juice. 'cause my my main objective was that I needed it to run all summer. And if I like completely beefed it up it might be a little more temperamental and might not last for the whole summer. So I really just tried to, to get a bike that would be consistent and would run good like everywhere I went. So really all I had was a, a kind of a light head and cylinder job from JMS, um, in Indiana. He's Done a lot of my Yamaha work for a long time, and he built a really good, reliable bike. So he just did a a light head and cylinder job for me. And then we had v Force reads and an FMF pipe. And that's it as far as components. And then one other thing that I learned towards the end of the season was um, in qualifying, I I started running the scoop tire every week. And being that I was already underpowered and the tracks were deep in the morning, I feel like that was almost better than any bike mod I even had. But as far as the bike, that's all. And then Racetech suspension with the race Tech gold valves that was done by Maynard Racing Performance. And uh, other than that, that's it, though.
1: Wow, that makes it even more impressive. We'll get back to the conversation in one moment. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. The Hammerdown Racing Report, available weekly on your favorite podcasting platform. Odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Wrestlow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Wrestlow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Wrestlow, the business of sports betting podcast. I think I noticed where at one, I think it was Millville, where you ended up having a bike issue. And uh, did you find that you kind of had to be with this whole, you know, being on the road, traveling in a pickup truck, did you had to be resourceful, you know, along the way? Like how was it kind of a scramble to fix your bike and still, and you ended up still making it to Washougal. It seems like you're just kind of doing what you had to do fully living the, the privateer life.
2: Yeah, that, that basically encompasses it perfectly. It was definitely a scramble to do everything. Um, I actually went on the way to Millville with the, the motor was not even close to put together. Only the bottom end was in it. Um, I had to stop off in Indiana on the way to Millville to get the head and cylinder. And then I drove to Millville and then we put the bike together in a friend's trailer the night before Millville. And then we went to go test it and we actually had some power valve issues. So I actually didn't have the bike together until like nine o'clock at night, the night before Millville. And we still didn't even have a hotel yet, like no dinner or anything like that. So... It kind of just was a, you know, do whatever it takes kind of situation. But, I mean, I wouldn't have really traded it for anything. You know, it's not like I was just going to give up. I was all the way in Millville. So whatever we needed to do to race, we were going to
0: do it. And that's one of the things I think I mentioned. It comes across in your in your video blog is your eternal optimism and, and upbeat attitude towards no matter what's coming at you. I know you had that bad shock problem at Ironman and what you just described going into Millville. It's just you've got this – positive attitude no matter what I'm going racing and it is what it is and I'm having fun doing it I love it it's infectious
2: yeah that's that's what it's all about to me I appreciate the kind words like I said earlier I think I've I've just been racing locally every weekend as well for like the last I don't even know how many years I've had a few injuries in the past and I've kind of taken some sabbaticals from racing from time to time but I always end up finding my way back to it it's so much fun and I just have so much passion for it and now i mean every weekend my girlfriend and i just load up the truck and go to whatever race we can find to try to make a couple bucks and have a good time and you know that's that's kind of our way of life it's how i grew up and and it's how i'd love to keep doing things for as long as i can i'm getting a little older but uh there's some local guys around here that that are 50 plus that still rip so my goal is to uh try to make it to as far as they've gotten
0: Oh, well, you're definitely talking to a couple of those guys right now matt um you mentioned your girlfriend, and I saw in a few of the videos your girlfriend's dad are both racing now, and, I, and you guys have actually filmed some of that where you've gone to the track. Uh, they've always always been doing that. Is that how you guys met, or uh, how'd that come about?
2: No, so they. Um, I think her dad. He's been around dirt bikes and street bikes and all that kind of stuff like for a lot of his life. And my girlfriend, her family they were from california so they they grew up riding at like glamis and stuff like that like elsinore they rode whenever they lived out west and then they moved here when they were i want to say my girlfriend was like 10 or 11 and they actually used to race a lot of the same series and a lot of the same races that i raced and were about the same age and i never met her until like two years and some change ago so i don't know where my head was at I don't know if I was just like actually focused on racing or what but apparently they were around the whole time and I just didn't notice but I don't think they had been riding very much before I I met her I think they had kind of slowed down on it and then whenever her and I got together and obviously her dad being a huge fan he started coming to the races too and I think that kind of like re-sparked it in him and last year I actually it was his first race and like 10 or 12 years or something like that, that I ended up taking them to. And then after that one, he's done a handful of them um, last year and this year. So it's definitely cool to have both of them involved. And then my girlfriend just got a new uh, KX 112. She's been having some problems with uh, with getting it to run right. I don't know if those things come a little messed up from the factory with the jetting or what, but as soon as we get her dialed in with that, she's going to be hitting the local scene with me too. So it's, it's honestly a dream come true to go racing with them too. We have a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I watched the video uh, you just put out recently from the local race and all of you racing, and I'm curious to know what, what it felt like to race that YZ450 after racing that two-stroke all summer. What are your thoughts on that? Did it feel like you were cheating a little bit, or like, I, I imagine uh, it had to be a little bit eye-opening for you?
2: For me, to be honest with you, it was a bit of a give and take, because obviously the power is to die for. I mean, when you want it, it's there and more. But being that I've been on only a two-stroke for the last three, three and a half years, the weight is really getting me right now. Um, And I also, it's a used bike, so I bought it with somebody else's suspension set up on it. So I've been struggling a little bit with the suspension and uh, just not, I'm not quite as comfortable on it yet just because I've had so much more time on the two-stroke lately. But first impressions are definitely not bad. I like the bike a lot. I think I can go pretty similar speed on both right now. It's just, it's just so much easier to do it on the 450, and that's the one thing that I think I've I've noticed since I got this 450 is just how much easier it is. And it, it kind of makes sense to me now that why I, I was struggling so much to do 30 plus twos on those national tracks, and then all those other guys had so much more in the tank. I mean, I I feel like my, my heart rate's probably 25, 30 beats lower on the 450, but I kind of make up for it with arm pump because that thing's heavy and fast.
1: So it's almost like riding uh, with one arm tied behind your back a little bit, huh? On that two-stroke. But no, I mean, I think again, it just it just kind of goes back to how much effort you put into it. It just makes it that much more impressive when I hear these kind of behind-the-scenes stories. Um, but anyways, changing direction a little bit, I wanted to ask this question because uh, I feel like you know this summer would had to have been just the summer of experiences for you. And uh, so I'm wondering, what was one of the craziest things you experienced? at one of these outdoor nationals, either there at the national or on the way. Like I saw the funny story where like the window fell out of Superfan Greg's pickup truck. And I'm like, I mean, it seems like there's probably all kinds of strange things happening at the track. I know personally, when I pulled into the track at one year at Redbud, there was porta potties that were smoking in the background because the partying was so out of control the <laughs> night before. So I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, you know, what are some of the funnest things you experienced during this summer?
2: um there's a few things that come to mind um literally the, right when I got to high point my first national of the year the first thing I did was take my wheels off to go get some tires from Dunlop and it was kind of windy and high points parking isn't that great so I, I strapped my bike to the stand with a couple of uh tie straps and I figured you know all right like if the bike's gonna go everything's going with it and I went to get my tires went to do tech inspection and all that and i came back and my bike was just upside down with the stand still attached to it and it like tweaked the whole front end and had to change grips like I, i don't understand how all this stuff happened just from the bike falling over in the pits but that was like my welcome to the nationals right there and then let's see um definitely my my carb falling off at millville was one of the crazier things i've experienced um i just over jumped a jump, and the bike just cut right off. <laughs> definitely not ever had anything like that happen before. Let me think definitely the the window story um was super fan that he had just let me drive, and his window I don't know what's wrong with it, but you're not supposed to open it and I didn't know this, and I started to open it and the window like came almost all the way out of the frame, and I was having to hold on to it for dear life, going eighty down the highway, literally got more arm pump holding that window than anything else I did the rest of the year. So that was pretty gnarly. Um, And speaking of Superfan's truck, we actually took it to a money race in the rain in Pennsylvania. I loaded up at the hotel and literally all I did was shut the passenger door. And as soon as I shut the passenger door, um, a section of his back window just exploded. So just stuff like that, just some random stuff that happens to me. I don't know why it never fails to be uh, an eventful journey, but we're always working with challenges. That's for sure.
0: We'll definitely keep that optimism up, and uh, and you'll get through just about anything that can go wrong at the racetrack. So, I wanted to ask you, Matt, what, uh, what's your daytime gig? Uh, get you through the week. And I understand you also do some rider training. If you want to talk about that too.
2: So I was working at a local dealer for a while, but this year I ended up leaving. So. This winter, I was just racing a bunch of arena cross and then just training kids and doing riding schools, mostly full-time. And then this summer, doing the Nationals, that was actually way more of a full-time gig than I would have expected, just with uh, keeping everything together and making sure I have parts and doing all the logistics and everything like that. So that that was kind of my full-time thing this summer. Um, and then now I'm back to trying to do some riding schools again. and just hitting all the money races I can find. Yesterday I went to Pennsylvania to try to do one. Um, I think I've got another one this weekend uh, around the house. And, you know, really the plan is just to be racing somewhere every weekend, trying to get Yamaha contingency and just trying to get whatever money that they'll pay out around me. I'm definitely going to be chasing it.
0: Definitely look forward to seeing that. And I wanted to take uh, one last question uh, before we wrap up here today is, uh, racers always have a riding number and there's, generally always a story behind it is there a story behind the 820 or maybe your old number the 826 that uh, that you run on your bike the
2: 826 was actually just because we couldn't get the 820 and the 820 it was just uh back in the day way back in the day um i did the world mini grand prix it was um i think it was run by like nma rather than the ama and I think there was something weird with the numbers back then. I used to be number 31 when I started as number 11. And for whatever reason, I needed a three-digit number. And I guess it just ended up being 820 and it just kind of stuck. So that's, I, I don't know. I've just always kind of liked how it looked. And it's, at this point, I've had it so long that it's kind of my trademark. So it wouldn't really feel right to have
0: anything else. You know, and I would agree. I think that's become your image, and uh, you should carry that on, and it's awesome. And Definitely look for the 820 out there on the racetrack for sure. So we want to take these last few moments, Matt, if you don't mind. If there's anybody you want to give shout-outs to, any sponsors that are helping you along the way.
2: I definitely would like to thank HBI Auto. That's my title sponsor. Billy came on to help me this year, and he was a huge help, um, helped me with each round. So very, very thankful for him also my mom and dad my whole family my girlfriend um her dad greg south of border mx freedom mx real ink graphics john knowles at scott goggles big thank you to him for coming on um towards the end of the year triumph of harrisonburg fms um Fox, Kenny Day, Fox, uh, Miserable Clothing, Dean Hushin Insulation, um, Peters Auto Mall. They helped me um, with a loaner truck to get to Millville and Wausaukee. So huge thank you to them. It wouldn't have been possible without them. Central Virginia Exterminating, American Label Technology, uh, Devil's Ridge MX, Victory Sports Racing, um, Race Tech, Maynard Racing Performance, uh, JMS, Scotty Long, Brad Godfrey, um, David Braswell the straighter family Uh, my buddy matt sauce for letting me use some suspension for the first couple of rounds so i didn't have to run my stock stuff my buddy chase Blakely for letting me stay at his place in oregon for washougal my buddy al for the help for millville mechanics um air wheelies only mx tire Um, my boy nick hayes for helping me get the bike to redbud and i think that should be everybody but if i somehow forgot anybody i'm very sorry and i really appreciate it i don't know how i could forget but if i did sorry but thank you very much
0: yeah no worries definitely and these are the companies that are helping guys like matt so definitely check them out and uh, you're easy to find on social media matt i think just on instagram matt burkeen and and definitely splashed all over youtube so those are the best places to find you i suppose
2: yes sir yep just uh if you search matt burkeen on really anything i should be the first thing that comes up i don't I don't think I'm quite big enough to have too many imposters out there. So if you search my name, you should find me.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Matt. We appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And it was wonderful to have you, man. Appreciate your time.
2: It was fun to, fun to chat. Thank you.
0: If you enjoyed this episode make sure to follow pit pass moto on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode if you have a moment please rate and review us we'd really appreciate it you can also follow us on twitter facebook and instagram and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog listen to past episodes and also get your pit pass swag this has been a production of evergreen podcasts a special thank you to tommy boy halverson producer leah haslidge and the production team at Wessler Media. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler.
1: See you next week on Pit Pass Moto.
3: Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock.